This is Examine Sport, a podcast of the sports ethicist. I am your host, Sean Klein. Each episode of Examine Sport focuses on an argument or concept in the philosophy of sport literature. We will look at classic, discipline-defining articles, exciting, newly published works, and dig deep for important but not as well-known papers. You can subscribe, comment, and find an archive of all our shows, along with links and related information, at sportsethicist.com. In previous episodes, we focused on the singular importance of rules and how they constitute games and sports. Rules are clearly important for understanding games and sports. Rules define the structure of the game, the conditions for what winning means, and how these, how these rules set limits for what even counts as playing the game. This might seem to require, as Bernard Suit says in What is a Game, to break a rule is to render impossible the attainment of an end. Today we're going to look at a paper that argues that this claim is false. Fred D'Agostino's The Ethos of, the Ga- of, of Games, <clears throat> published in the Journal of Philosophy of Sport in 1981, does two main things. First, it defines and criticizes the theory of games he calls formalism. Second, it offers an alternative theory based on the ethos of games, which has come to be called conventionalism. In this episode, I'm going to focus, I'm not going to focus too much on the details of his critique of formalism. We'll look at what he means by formalism and then get the flavor of his concerns about formalism before discussing his alternative conventionalism. Diagostino defines formalism as, quote, an account of games according to which various game derivative notions are defined solely in terms of the formal rules of a game. The basic idea is the game and related ideas of things like the play, like playing the game, winning the game, acting within a game, like dribbling or a wrist shot, are defined by the formal rules of the games, the explicitly stated, often written rules. For example, the 17 laws of soccer or the nearly 90-page NFL rulebook. Moreover, that's all there is, the explicit rules. The game is defined and understood solely in terms of these rules. This is a strong thesis. That is, it makes some bold claims about the nature of games. Now, one might worry D'Agostino has set forward a straw man, that no one is actually a formalist. D'Agostino, however, does a good job of showing how several theorists, including our old friend Bernard Suits, makes use of this conception of formalism in their theories. We see it when Suits, in What is a Game, says things like, to break a rule is to render impossible the attainment of an end, or one cannot really play the game unless he obeys the rules of the game. Both of these claims depend largely on the formalist idea that the rules make the game, and so violating the rules renders the game impossible or otherwise a failure. While there is something appealing about formalism, The rules are explicit. We know what to expect, what to do, how to act within the game, what the consequences will be when we act in the game. There is a weird consequence to this view. For example, if Steph Curry violates the rules of basketball by grabbing at the shooting arm of his opponent, then formalism seems to say, Steph Curry, you're not playing basketball. 
It means that when Maradona scored his infamous handball goal, the hand of God, in the 1986 World Cup, he wasn't playing soccer. These are very strange outcomes for most fans of sports. And they point at the ideas in and at the heart of D'Agostino's critique of formulism. He tells us there are two main problems. Formulism fails to distinguish between playing the game and playing the game fairly. Second, formulism succumbs to an objectionable platonic view, platonic view of games. Now, the distinction between playing and playing fairly can be seen in the problem of penalties or other rule violations, such as with Steph Curry and, and uh, Maradona examples I just used. Here's another example. When the lineman in American football holds the linebacker charging through the line, he violates the explicit rules of football. We might think that this is unfair and want to see a holding penalty call, but no one seems to think he's not playing football. Indeed, it seems that the very concept of penalizing the offense with a 10-yard penalty presupposes that a football game is being played. The penalty doesn't make sense if the player wasn't playing football. It only makes sense if we think they are playing football, but that this offensive lineman wasn't playing fair, and so we have penalized him. As Diagostino says, quote, it seems right to say that X was penalized because he was not playing fairly. It doesn't seem right to say that X was penalized because he or she was not playing at all. This implication of formalism, that any rule violation renders the game a failure, fails to make sense of our ordinary and common sense way of playing, talking, and thinking about games. The idea that formalism is a kind of objectionable Platonism gets at the same idea, but from a different vantage point. Here, the concern is that games become ideal types only imperfectly realized in actual games. They're an idea that is in some other realm. This is the platonic idea of forms, is the form of the game, this sort of perfect idealized game. And so the, the idea seems to be that uh, that the games become these ideal types under formalism and not really describing actual games. And so this is objectionable in two ways, says D'Agostino. First, we want to know about, and formulas seem to want to talk about, actual games, not merely these platonic idealized types. If formalism is just about these ideal uh, unrealized forms, then it doesn't seem to speak to the nature of actual games. Second, there is an important distinction between ideal and actual games that is problematic for formalism. D'Agostino points to places where idealized types might be useful, like an ideal model in science. These are not problematic, he says, because the better the ideal type is, the closer it is to actually describing real-world phenomenon. The closer that the ideal type and the real world uh, phenomenon get, the better the model is. It can better describe what's going on. But this doesn't seem to be the case for formalism. In formalism, the ideal game would be one with no rule-violating behavior. But in real-world games, what we, seem to see, what we actually seem to see is that real games with the most skillful and talented players often have more intentional rule violations. These are done for strategic purposes, and they need to be skillfully done, and talented players need to do it in 
the top games uh, for strategic reasons, things like intentional fouls in basketball. So you, we tend to see those at higher levels of the game more because it takes skill to do them intentionally rather than unintentionally. So this disconnect suggests a problem with formulism's Platonism. D'Agostino then spends several pages discussing ways in which formulism might deal with these concerns and how the moves available to formulism fail. Now, we don't need to get into these weeds. The main idea is clear enough. Formulism's main problems are it counterintuitively entails that any rule violation makes a given game impossible. Two, it seems to collapse into a theory about unrealized and unhelpful types. So these two main problems lead D'Agostino to say, well, we, formalism is, is missing something important. It's not uh, an accurate description of the nature of games. And so we need some alternative. Now, D'Agostino's core diagnosis is that formalism fails and falls into these two main problems, primarily because it doesn't take into account important features of games that are distinct from the rules. These fall under what he calls the ethos of the game. Now, the ethos of the game is, quote, unofficial, is the, quote, unofficial system of conventions, which determines how the official rules of the game will be applied in various concrete circumstances, end quote. So why do officials, in, in an apparently unobjectionable way, allow some kinds of contact in basketball or soccer that are, by the letter of the rules, violations? This seems inexplicable under formalism, but makes perfect sense to anyone who's played games, <laughs> right? This happens all the time and no one seems to object. The application of rules in a given circumstance is not merely the black letter of the rules, but is provided by the implicitly agreed to conventions of how to apply and interpret the rules in a given circumstance. So, for example, in a pro-level tournament, officials of a racquetball game will likely call hinders in circumstances that in other cases they would likely not be called. Or an NBA official might let some contact go in the fourth quarter, right? let the players play, so to speak. And so they might, call the, they might not call something in the fourth quarter that they would call a foul in the first quarter. Now, this variability is not arbitrary or chaotic. It is understood and expected by the players, officials, and spectators. It's not articulated in the rules, but understood by implicit agreement that this is the way one ought to interpret and apply the rules in this given circumstance. So D'Agostino argues that these conventions, the ethos of the game, allow for distinguishing between three types of acting within a game. Quote, behavior that is permissible, behavior that is impermissible but acceptable, and behavior that is not part of the game at all. Formalism, however, only can distinguish between permissible behavior and behavior not part of the game. This middle category, behavior that is impermissible but acceptable, this is where things like penalties and other kinds of rule violations live. And it's this middle category that gives conventionalism an explanatory advantage over formalism. Whereas formalism was challenged to the breaking point to explain why we penalize and how to deal with rule violations that don't just cancel the game, conventionalism provides a more intuitive way of dealing with these. 
Such actions are not permitted by the rules, but the behavior is still part of and understandable as part of a genuine game. Thus, they are subject to penalties or other in-game consequences. At the same time, conventionalism is not just a free-for-all. It still recognizes that some behavior is outside of the game. For example, kneecapping your opponent with a lead pipe. Tanya Harding, I'm looking at you. In these ways, D'Agostino's conventionalism doesn't succumb to Platonism. And more importantly, it has a straightforward way to explain penalties, intentional fouls, and other variations of application between levels of players. These are part of different but accepted conventions about how to apply and interpret the rules. Now, we shouldn't leave this paper without at least indicating some of the concerns about this conventional account. First, conventionalism has the real danger of collapsing into a kind of relativism or subjectivism. If enough players agree to a certain way of playing, the ethos view would seem to say that this is the right way to play, even if that way of playing is by almost any other account unjust or unfair. Would punching people in the face during a basketball game be the right way to play, even if the players agreed? Moreover, is player agreement even sufficient to provide justification for any interpretation? Much like the problem of ethical relativism, where we confuse the description of different cultural views on morality with the justification of such views, conventionalism here seems to confuse the description of what players accept as the interpretation with the justification for the interpretation. For example, maybe many NFL players would agree to a rule allowing steroid use, but that is a different question of whether it ought to be allowed. Conventionalism then seems to be missing something that is distinct from both the rules and the agreed-upon interpretations. A second concern is, is the problem of, of consent. When the rules are explicit, as in the case of formalism, it is clear what a player is consenting to and what to expect. When rules are implicit, there's going to be aspects of the conventional interpretations that are indeterminate and unknown to the players. Conventionalism is premised on the idea that players agree to the understanding of how the rules will be interpreted and implied. But the ethos of the game is really, by, de by definition, by necessity, not always statable in a clear and explicit way. It's more of an implicit or tacit understanding. So just what the agreement is for the game is not clear. However, this problem might not be as bad as it seems at first light. Any rule-based system is inherently indeterminate at some point, so this would apply also to formalism. No set of rules can completely account for all circumstances and all applications. Language is inherently vague, so there's always some meaning that is beyond the explicit statement of the rules. Indeed, language itself is a good example of a mix of formal rules, syntax, and grammar, and, con and a conventional understanding of how to apply and use the language in ways that might even violate the formal rules. Think of how in English one might say in ways that are ungrammatical, I ain't going in there as a point of emphasis, or something like, I don't not like it, to indicate some middle ground between liking and not liking. So these are, as I said, uh, incorrect uh, according to the formal rules of English, and yet any competent English speaker knows what we're talking about, uh, given the conventions of language use.
Now, D'Agostino is not the only version of conventionalism, and conventionalism is not the only alternative to formalism. In later episodes, we'll explore these differences. Until then, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of Examine Sport. You can subscribe, comment, and find an archive of all shows, along with links and related information at sportsethicist.com. Connect on Facebook, Twitter, or email the show, sportsethicist at gmail.com. Thank you.